Hey everyone, welcome to episode 3 of Death Space Filling the Void. I'm Patrick Jones, recording from Brooklyn, New York. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Though, by the time you're listening to this, it will already have passed. I'm very excited to share this episode with everyone. It's actually one of the first interviews I did after I decided to finally start moving this idea forward. In it, I interview my friend Aton Levine. I know Aton from performing at the People's Improv Theater, and we also worked at Cheddar for a while together. Aton is a great person to interview for a podcast like this because he simply doesn't worry what people think about him. And he's incredibly open and honest, which is also what makes him a great comedian. It's also been interesting to go back and listen to how we were discussing the coronavirus. Some of it's changed, but for the most part, things are still the same. This interview came to be after Aton wrote an op-ed for the New York Times on finding the humor in losing his grandmother to the coronavirus. Life is going to throw curveballs that are painful. But being open to and somewhat looking for the humor in life, I think can take you a long way. But before we get to the interview, I just want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by Garnished Entertainment. Are you missing your friends? Tired of unwinding in front of the TV? Losing your marbles ever so slightly? Shake up your night with a Garnished virtual cocktail event. Garnished Entertainment is a New York City-based mixology event company with the mission of bringing communities together through creative and entertaining virtual cocktail classes. Whether you're catching up with old friends, team building with colleagues, or looking for the perfect date night, Garnished would love to be your host. Let's Garnish! Today's episode is also brought to you by my software tutor. Can Excel be my friend? Many people have wondered this for years. The answer is yes, it can. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time, Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. They all deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly, supportive environment. These courses will increase your marketability, whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. Register at MySoftwareTutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. All right, I'd also like to mention to please follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then I have another podcast called That Gives Me Anxiety. It's a show about the things that scare us and why they may not be so scary after all. As always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Joining me today is writer, comedian, all-around open and funny man, Aton Levine. Did I miss open, anything? Open and funny. I yeah. ran for the New York Times, which makes me a legitimate member of the literary community. That's true. Uh, that means if I die, I get buried in the New York Public Library. That's what that, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that means. Very um, easy contract, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone who's written an op-ed knows that they get buried <laughs> in the New York Times Public Library. Um, and then I'm a two, my favorite thing is that I, I've written for the New York Times and that I'm a two-time ABM winner because uh, for a documentary at this place I worked a couple years ago, I got to write Hamilton, which is the Hamilton uh, porn parody. Uh, so both a New York me. Times author and a porn award winner. You, you're like the yeah. full because, spectrum. Because none of it matters. And you know, if anything, first of all, every structure that we knew before coronavirus is kind of dead. So yeah. 
That's like the first thing you got to understand about this. And the second thing is that none of this, nothing matters. I think people limit themselves in, I guess, worrying about what other people think they can do. So I think that that, okay, I don't worry what other people think I do. I, <laughs> I know, I know very much which, so. You know, like that's one of the, like, you know, I'm personally accountable. I make sure that I think that I'm morally okay with stuff and that I genuinely am trying and doing my hard enough. There's one thing I've learned that if I'm true to myself, it doesn't really matter what other people, whether what where, other people say. I where think does that come from? Uh, I mean, I truly, I think it's genetics, honestly. We'll talk about this, but my grandmother was very much, uh, we'll talk about my grandmother, but she was very much of the same opinion. The other side of my family is very education-based and everyone has a lot of degrees. And my grandmother did not have a lot of degrees, but she came to America, you know, she crushed in real estate, she crushed in the stock market, did very, she made a very nice big life for herself. And uh, one thing that I always liked about her was that she was resentful of education almost. It <laughs> was like these idiots with their degrees and everything like that. Like, what else do you got to, you know, it wasn't. So I think that that's where it comes from is that I've, I've always been, I keep myself accountable. And then as long as you keep yourself accountable, then you don't really have to answer to anybody else. You, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I agree. you're accountable you now. And you're accountable in how you deal with everybody and every, like you're not being shitty. Part of being accountable to yourself is, is also not being shitty. As long as you um, stick to that code, you're, yeah, you're doing all right, I guess. Is exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, that's the AVNs was just, you know, the AVNs of the New York times. It was like, yeah, I can write for the New York times, but I can write for the AVNs. It doesn't make it, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Right. Like I think yeah. that, uh, I think that the oh, the limits that people put on this stuff is very much. Uh, it's almost like just taking opportunities as they come, and and mm-hmm. not to be annoying, but just saying yes to the experience. There's no reason why anybody like porn specifically baffles me. Why porn stars are like so, I guess like minimized in society because everyone watches porn. Mm-hmm. Like we all watch porn. And these porn stars, they contain, they have sway that you would not believe. I have porn star friends that have half a million, million followers on Twitter and stuff like that. That'll get you pretty far in this world. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So now they have these platforms and stuff like that. So you can be a porn star and have 500,000 followers. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know well, if, that, don't know if reason- that made any sense. We sort of. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> this is a forum for you to sort of speak your mind. This is the first uh, time I've spoken to someone today. I always feel weird when that happens. Mm-hmm. You sort of mentioned it, but the reason why Aton is on the show is unfortunately he lost his grandmother to coronavirus and then ended up writing an op-ed in, in the New York Times about it, sort of finding the humor in, in the experience of losing his grandmother or Bubby during uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your grandma. Or do you prefer I call her Bubby? I mean, I call her Bubby. People started calling her Bubby. That was unintentional. Uh, but people did start uh, calling her Bubby. And people thought that was her first name, I think, was like the non <laughs> out there. But, uh, no, but she was great. My grandmother is a Holocaust survivor. She's from Czechoslovakia, oh, wow. which is not a, a place anymore. Um, right. She is from, uh, I think, uh, Yarmir Yager is probably from her area. Oh, nice. There you go. Probably hockey fans out there. And uh, she was in the Holocaust through like concentration camps and everything like that. After she died, New York One ran an article on her. And I found, I didn't know this story, but apparently when she was in the concentration camps, she would sneak bread in between her legs back into the barracks for sicker, for, for her and for oh sicker. So she incredible. was, you know, she was a really tough chick. 
And so she gets out of the Holocaust. Obviously, a bunch of her family dies in the Holocaust. So this is my favorite story about her. I didn't find this out until recently, also, because I started recording conversations with her. Was that so smart? She, yeah, I didn't, she was fine until she died. I, it's, that's a weird sentence. Uh, <laughs> that's such a Jewish, she was fine until she died. Uh, you know, making a Jewish mean she was fine until she diddle diddle died. So I, I, she was really, she was like, she was a 92 year old with it as much right. as the next one. And then coronavirus happened. And then like within, you know, two weeks it was, it was over. But so after the Holocaust, she was on the boat going from Europe to America and the boat was run by an organization called the United Jewish Appeal. And the UJA had a problem because, and the problem was that like on this boat were all these scared Holocaust survivors who were going to, you know, they're going to America. None of them have ever been to America before. And they literally all just got out of watching their families die. Right. So yeah. Everyone's, you know, traumatized and they're on this boat. So the UJA is like, we got to have a series of events on this boat to boost morale. So they have like theme oh, nights God. on this like Holocaust boat. Oh, and then God. apparently towards the end of the ride, they're like, let's have a beauty pageant on the Holocaust oh, boat. God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And my grandmother <laughs> wins the Holocaust beauty pageant. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So then she gets to the so she gets to America and the UJA supposedly this is from her. Supposedly they pull her aside and they go, listen. We got to take pictures of all the survivors for donation materials, but everyone here is ugly. You're the hottest survivor. <laughs> so, so they put a, like a dress and makeup on her and she ends up becoming like some sort of model or something for Holocaust donations. Um, that is, oh my gosh. Which is what, a, what, a, what a crazy, crazy moment. It's insane. So then she gets to America though and she ends up, there's a longer story I don't know what of it I can say, but she ends up like doing well in, in real estate and uh, ends up, uh, I, she, she bought a building early on with like Nazi reparation money. And the reason why was because she was like, oh, you know, I, I, I had this money in my pocket and I looked around, and I said like, well, what do people need? Where is it? And she's like, oh, everyone's in houses. So right. like, if I own apartments, you know, like always, you know, I'll, if someone's always going to need to live somewhere. You know, and then eventually she wanted to buy more buildings and stuff like that. So she was like, oh, you know, uh, she's looking around and she's like, oh, you know what? The bridges and the tunnels, everyone always has to use and electricity everyone's using. So she invests sure. in, the, in the like the MTA and like Con Edison, like way, way, way back. And like that, you know, does well for her. And that's so she she came over time. here by herself. Yeah. Completely alone. She may have had a sister with it. Yeah, she had a sister with it. She was supposed to, I mean, very funny story about her is that she was supposed to, she gets off the boat and she was supposed to go live with this guy, Lean Chew, somewhere in New York. And so she's, when she was on the boat, she was like, oh man, I'm going to America. You know, like that's, it's going to be awesome in America. And then she gets to Lean Chew's house and Lean okay. lives in a dump. He lives in like a bad part of town broken down apartment <laughs> and my grandmother you know miss holocaust uh she uh is like i'm not living here and then she just goes back to the uja on 72nd street in the, on the upper west and she goes i'm not living in that place and oh they my go, god and they go who are you <laughs> and then she's I'm like miss holocaust yeah yeah she's like i have the sash no she, right. she was like she was like, listen, I'm here. This is, I, this is unacceptable. Come on, guys. What can you, and then they're like, no, like go back. You, the way it works is that you come here to live with family. You know, like that's the right. family that signed you. You have to be signed into America, essentially. Mm. So 
after like an afternoon of arguing with them, she ends up getting them to put her up at a hotel on 72nd Street with the stipulation that she would move out after she learned English. But they were also going to pay for her English lessons at Roosevelt High School. So my grandmother also would like to point out when when she told me that she was like, oh, you know, I was taking those classes anyways. So I I just got free classes. (laughs) That's amazing. So it just seems like she, with so much stacked against her, was able to create yeah, she didn't know English. She didn't. She knew a couple words in English. She was unmarried. only had her she, sister. Did had unsure housing. I don't even know if her sister was there when she got there. I I gotta get this timeline right because I don't think they all came at once. And I know okay. that there was like I know that when they came, they they were dispersed around a little bit. Right. So that's uh. She was. It was. It's a miracle. It really, really is a miracle that she accomplished what she accomplished. Like she yeah, figured that's very out. Inspiring. She was also like such a, a feisty, finicky person. That's how like I, it's really how she got through it, in my opinion. Yeah. that hatred of education and stuff like that and why i think she just like stuck to core principles um that she believed in and then like held to them and then that were great like analytical skills to break down yeah. like what she saw around her and what people needed and yeah use that to her advantage she literally was just like how what's the simplest like what's the simplest explanation to this like what's what i don't need to do anything like fancy or anything like that anyways so then you know she gets she passes of coronavirus it, it, it was awkward it, so she died right um in the it really at the height of in new, in new york like mm-hmm. i like early it was like early april like late march early april and when she was doing fine she was 92 living in queens mm-hmm. uh she was doing fine and then she got it i remember that she got it and then like immediately i was like oh like that's you know like the people that were at that point the people that were surviving it were like younger people right and then like a a day or two afterwards someone was my dad was like well they intubated her um and once they intubated her then i was like done that's it because it it was 80 percent survival rate i was 80 percent mortality rate on those ventilators early on and then on top of that 92 years old you know and the people once again the people that were getting all those ventilators were not older people yeah i remember cuomo talking about it yeah and then and this is the first i would say kind of funny thing that happened no this is the second kind of funny thing that happened Mm -hmm. was we'll talk about the phone call that that happened but yeah i'm very interested in talking about the phone call yeah phone call was banana so but the the thing after she died between that phone call when we said goodbye to her and when she died was about a week and i remember that it was like Oh, it was like a couple of days of like just waiting, you know, like every day it was like, oh, you know, is she going to like, she's, you know, she's not alive anymore. Like, you know, how is she not dead? How is she not dead? Whatever. And I remember. That must have been watching, so stressful. Yeah, what? It was truly, she was just like in limbo. But I remember I was yeah. watching a Trump press conference. He started, he was like talking about hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that's hydroxychloroquine. I, just, I, I was just like, oh, that's the, the name of it. Like hydroxychloroquine. And then mm-hmm. later that day, my dad goes, like, oh, you know, your grandmother's on some new experimental malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine. And the second he said that, I was like, fuck, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> if Trump is pushing this drug, then my grandmother is <laughs> fucked. Oh, um, yeah, so th- so I get called one day. So after she gets ventilated, a couple days later, I get called and they're like, you know, I, they're, she's not coming off the vent. Do you want to say goodbye to her? And at that mm-hmm. point, I was afraid because... I thought that they were going to use an iPad, an iPad video thing to do it. And I did not want to fucking see that. That is, I, that was. Yeah, just, that's got to be absolutely terrifying. You know, and I will say like the, the one comfort that 
I have throughout this entire experience is that my grandmother was sedated and ventilated like almost immediately. Like she did not, she did not suffer. She didn't go through any of the loneliness. That's great. You know? She was like, once she was out of it, she was de- like, she was right. Dumb. That's what a lot of people are saying. You know, the hospital workers have been depressed watching people pass away alone calling out for family members and, and and feeling so alone so that's yeah that's, that's not the case that was so that was not the case with her which is something truly i'm thankful for that the, she you know, yeah they ventilated her immediately so there was a talk like oh are they gonna do like an ipad are they gonna like do it through video call i didn't want to do that that was a thing also mm-hmm. i remember and this was the fir- this was the, of all of the 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 story that happens this is the actual first time that i, I thought this was a little bit funny was then I was like, oh no, I'm gonna have to teach my mom how to do video calls. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking like, this is gonna, this is not gonna work not at the all. time, yeah. And then, I, so I didn't want to see it and I didn't want to do, I didn't want to teach her, but then they were like, it's gonna be a phone call. So I got told that they're gonna do this phone call thing. And then I remember, and then I, I don't get told when. Um, yeah. I just got told to expect it. And I originally, I didn't even want to do that because she was sedated already. So like, I'm going to talk into the phone to, to what, it, there's no recognition. And really it's just, you're talking to the ether. Like you're just, you're saying words into nothing. Right. Because she's unresponsive. I, I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yeah. She's just, it's unresponsive. She, they could be, they could have been like, hello, Levine family. Here she is. Oh, God. You know, like <laughs> for all we like, you know, holding like, it up to the air. Yeah, you know, oh. they didn't do that. I, I would like to think they didn't do that, but at the same time, like it wouldn't have made a difference to me. Like if, if, there, if there's, you got to understand, my family is tough as nails. People, I grew up with Holocaust education. You know, yeah. you you're like you know, my I, I cancer survivor. My mom's a nurse. My mom was a nurse in the Bronx. We are thick-skinned people, so yeah. I think that that really pushed my family through this. Because there were things like that where like, it was like, a, you know, like the comfort, like at least, thank God she was sedated earlier. That's a, that's a thing that when I told, when I was talking to other people about it, you know, who didn't have, who, you know, who I think were maybe not emotionally have that infrastructure to deal with this. I think a lot of them didn't realize stuff like that where they were like, oh, you know what? My grandmother was sedated throughout. I didn't even think of that. When, when we said goodbye, she wasn't talking and I didn't even think that she may have been not sedated. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think that a lot of just, I don't know, it didn't hit us as hard as, uh, I, and I thankfully, it, you know, it hit us hard, but it didn't hit us as hard. I think it was because of that. Right, that she wasn't, sense. yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense here. I'm talking in circles. I, this, is, uh, this is my first coffee. <laughs> at 4 30 p.m 4 30 4 28 p.m everybody at home <laughs> anyways my family were gruff people we were able to handle we were so i think that's why we were able to deal with this a little bit better than all the people that being said it it was fucking awful the entire time so then my mom calls me and she's like i didn't want to do it either but the rabbi says that we should like call her and say shema for her to hear like one last time shema it's a that, jewish yeah. it's a jewish prayer Okay. You know, it's kind of like our, it's, it's our like big prayer. It's the thing where like, if you're dying, like let's say you got shot and you're like dying, like you say the Shema as you're dying. Like you're supposed okay. to, it's like the thing you say. All right. So I get told, expect a phone call. Okay. So this is also in the height of coronavirus. I am, my daily activity, like my, every day I would wake up at like 12, smoke a bowl, <laughs> watch, watch the Cuomo press conference. And then yeah. like... And then go on with like whatever I had to do that day. You know, like no, everyone's sleeping schedule, especially in that early Wildly time. Wildly off, yeah. I was, I, I had nothing to do. Like I, I had jobs that just ended. So it was like there was, so everyone turned into like a degenerate. I think as a society, we turned into like a, you know, an aimless. College dorm. 
Yeah, we were just like, we're, we're like, what do we do now? And then right. immediately, you know, I was probably drinking like a, a two Irish coffees of a, a, a breakfast, you know, <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So I will say my favorite thing, yeah. my favorite thing about those Cuomo press conferences was that he would go on every day and be like, guys, don't worry about it. Uh, Katz's Deli is making surgical masks. Uh, uh, the M and M store is. Uh, we contracted to build ventilators, and right. uh, uh, Coldstone Creamery is a hospital. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like every everything day was, was a hospital. It was just like an. Inst- it was like New York institutions were all of a sudden militarized to fight. Right. It was like every every morning. This is a joke. But like every morning, I, I would wake up and just whisper to myself. Uh, don't die in the Jacob Javits Center. Today. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's it. I, just didn't want I don't to die. want to die. We're <laughs> Comic-Con. Comic-Con. <laughs> my one goal throughout this entire thing was yeah. to not have uh, some fucking right-wing doctor in, in, in fucking uh, Central Park have to ventilate me. Right. Anyways, so the call comes in at like 1230 in the morning. I'm not up. I am jolted awake. By this call, and my mom, you know, my mom goes like, "Hey, like, you know, like, my mom, you know, she goes like, hey, like, sweetie, you know, like, we're gonna do the call now." And then a doctor, so and then a nurse named Amanda. Basically, me, and my mom are conference called into um, this this phone call with, with this nurse named Amanda, and Amanda goes. Also, keep in mind, I'm like a once again pretty strong guy. This I'm sobbing at this point. This is I, I'm bolted awake. Yeah. Um, and told like, you're gonna have your last conversation with your grandmother. I'm pretty close to my grandmother. I yeah. legitimately very close with her. You, you've just, always talked about her often. Yeah. Just fascinating to me. And truly, you know, I, I always very sympathetic, uh, ear to listen to. I, it was all, it was really awful. What was happening. So I'm waking, I'm woken up by this. You're doing the call now. So I'm like, I, I'm like, huh, like it's like adrenaline. a frantic, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I, uh, like I'm waking myself up. And then I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, like, so she's like, uh, I'm going to put, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to, I'm going to go into her room. I'm going to uh, put the phone by her and then you can talk, take as much time as you want. You know, does that work for you? And I'm like, yeah. And like, I, she's saying this, I like look down and I'm like, not, I'm only wearing the boxers cause I'm just waking up mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh, I have to put like a shirt on. Cause like, that's what I owe my grandmother. You know, like, it's like these stupid yeah. things that like show up during the grieving process or like during this pro I, I literally was like i cannot say goodbye to my grandmother without a button-down shirt on so then i you like the, run to the closet yeah and i put on like so i'm like buttoning a shirt i'm not wearing pants like i'm, I'm so I'm, wearing, I'm like tom cruise like <laughs> like in risky business <laughs> oh, saying goodbye yeah. to my grandmother imagine so then i sit back down on my bed and it happens like within like 15 seconds so she's like we're gonna go in there we're gonna put the phone by her at that point you can Say whatever you need to say. Take as much time as you need. Uh, if you need anything, we're going to be right there. So you can just call. You, know, you just, if you say our names, we'll be right there listening. Does that work with you? And I'm like, yeah, it works. It totally works. And you got to be goes, breathing so uh, heavy just, just trying to catch up to the situation. Yeah. It was, in, it was true. It, I, I, I'm crying. I'm crying, waking up and like trying to calm myself down and getting dressed at the same time. And I'm like, and with my phone to my head, you know, like I, you know, so she goes, do you understand? Does that make sense? And I go, yes. And she goes, okay, I'm going to put on PPE and and then we're going to go into her, her, into her room. I'm going to put you on hold for a second. And she puts us on hold. So I'm crying at this. I hear my mom crying on the other line, but she puts us on hold. But the problem is 
that the hospital's on hold music is like upbeat jazz. So I am crying to this tune of like boo bop do bop choo bop boo And then every 20 seconds, this like upbeat voiceover announcer comes on and is like, coronavirus is a very serious issue. Make sure to wash your hands and remain six feet socially distant. Coronavirus is a very serious issue. Make sure to wash your hands and stay six feet socially distant. And she's putting on, this takes like three minutes. So it's like three minutes of of this like rotation of like jazz music, (laughs) Mountain Dew voiceover, jazz music. (laughs) Like it was like if the Z Morning Zoo was in charge of saying goodbye to my grandma. Frank called, yeah. Like, it was like, you're welcome back to saying goodbye to Bubby Live. Like, that, <laughs> like it was it was insane. And I, I'm, I'm, so I'm listening to this. At one point, I just yell over, and I'm hearing my mom cry over this also. So I'm like, this is too upbeat. Like, I just yell that at one point. Into the universe. Into the, and I don't, it's, it's, I, this, so this cycle is, ha- it's just, it's going on. It's just, and then all of a sudden, there's a click and silence. Mm-hmm. And then, Amanda goes like, okay, you're with your grandmother now. And then it was like being dragged from like this surreal. I just, I'm thinking for two minutes straight. I can't ignore this fucking jazz music. Like I can't, this is all I'm hearing is jazz, loud jazz, loud jazz music, silence. All of a sudden I'm in this, this thing with my grandmother. So then my mom, you know, says like, hi mommy, you know, we're here. She's just, I mean, it was just a mixture of her saying like, you know, we love you. Right. Uh, you mean so much to us. And then like, sorry's because it was because of what had happened. Like, you know, there was, it, it, it wasn't our fault, but there was blame with it. You know, like it was, it was awful that this thing was happening to her. Right. Um, so she says that stuff and then she goes like, Oh, I'm here with Aton. And then I say the same thing. And I, you know, like, I am like, I, I just apologize. I honestly apologize a lot. I don't, I, you know, I'm Why just like, I'm sorry. I do apologize. Just like, I just kept on saying like it was un. I kept on saying it was unfair. I kept on saying I'm sorry. It's unfair. This happened like this. It didn't need to happen like this. Like in just in in different iterations of that. And then like with I loved you. At one point I say like you know you're the smartest person I ever met. Like you were always very simple. You always needed had my back when I needed you to have my back. I think is what I said. And then my mom just says the Shema, which is like you know it takes about two minutes. It's a he in all in Hebrew. The whole experience takes probably like two to four minutes. And then, yeah, yeah, it was, it was awful. I mean, like, it was really awful. It was, there was, there was no other way to, it it was no other way to describe it. It was just, this was such a, who deals with this? Like, no one has had to deal with these, like, remote saying goodbye calls. Well, especially since so many people, I feel like, get hung up on the last thing that they said to someone who passed away. We had to organize a conference call. Like, like that's it. Truly, is absurd that it happened like this. And I think that that's why I, at that point, and then I remember at the funeral itself, thinking like, this is this wasn't enough. Like, it, it felt like she was robbed of of uh, goodbye. And also, this happened in the middle of a catastrophe. And I think that I didn't. It took a couple of weeks for me to really. No, I take that back. It happened in the middle of a catastrophe. And I think that that took away from my to from it. Because it felt like it took the edge off that it took a lot of the edge off because it was like everything was happening and then this was also happening so this was a very sad thing this was a very 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 sad thing happening 
in, in the background of a very, very awful thing. Right. So I remember that. Like your brain's already shifted towards yeah. handling something awful. Every day, and this is early April, late March, every day until that point, a new remarkably horrible thing happened. That's true. And, and then it was like, this was just like uh, fucking, you know, it was, think about it until that point. Personally, I was on a high. You know, now my career has been fine, thankfully. You know, I, I, I survived this, I think, for now. But I was touring as a stand-up comic. I had shows booked in Seattle, Des Moines, Omaha, uh, Pittsburgh, we were supposed to go to twice. But I was supposed to do these shows in between April and March. And I booked all these shows personally. And I had, and, and that was, and not on top of that, like I had personal career goals, you know, uh, things that were happening where like I, there were projects that I had gained traction on, you know, mm -hmm. I just got a new manager and stuff like that. And then fucking coronavirus happens. And then, so career wise, March 12th, probably that's all done. So then I'm just sitting home watching this like virus, you know, slowly get bigger. And then you're watching Trump slowly, you know, make this worse, 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 worse. And then every day is like a new iteration of stuff getting worse. And then this fucking happens. So then it was like, you know, fucking, oh, your grandmother has coronavirus. That was, that's, so up until the point, that was the hardest thing that happened. Right. Then it was like, your grandmother got ventilated. Well, that means that she's dying. Until that, that was the hardest thing that had happened. And then saying goodbye to her, that, that was the toughest part of all of this. And then that, so when that happens, it was, it was like, I just get the, you're getting the shit kicked out of you for like a fucking month and a half. And then, and then that happens. So it was like, there was only so much worse. It, like I, I didn't have emotion left at that point. Like it, it felt like so beat down. Yeah. And so I, it's weird that everything that was happening took away eventually from like the way that we said goodbye and like the funeral itself. So it felt like this whole experience had robbed her and us of that experience of saying goodbye until that point. I've since come to peace of it. Honestly, the article did great. A lot of people read it and stuff. So in a lot of ways, it felt like that had been the funeral or like that had been the memorial that like, you know, she deserved that she had finally gotten personally, you know, like I would never speak for the rest of my family, but personally, I got a lot of closure um, with it. Well, that's great. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm curious, you know, the article and, and the stories you've told have a lot of humor in them. Where does that come from? Is it just the experience? <laughs> I, my, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor and the grandson of Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. uh, we're the people that we laugh at this shit. Like, it, it, there's no other way to say this except for the fact that there's been so much stuff that's been bad that, of course, in the midst of this saying goodbye to my grandmother, I, had a, I took out a notepad and just wrote down what psychopath chose this hospital waiting music <laughs> you know like and that's because like you know you deal with the horrors and the awfulness you're a beautiful white boy so no i'm saying like you're like i you know like you deal with like tragedy so often that you eventually start to if you live with it then you can see the funny stuff in it you see the mundane you see like you know like where the the comedy kind of lives i because then i and you also i don't i think that i'm i we're better at identifying the weird stuff because we always are anxious people are trying to kill us and then <laughs> afterwards we're able to kind of identify why that is weird in like a funny way to us i mean the next funny thing that happened was that we went to the funeral itself was i i say that the the phone call was harder than the funeral because the funeral was the funniest thing i'd ever i truly ever attended we yeah we get there so it's it's there's a lot of bad there's a lot of really really awful stuff and then like heightened like hilarious stuff but like the first thing that happened was that we get there 
and there is a line of eight other hearses because this is the this is the top this is a week after i had that conversation with her every day you're just waiting for her to die eventually she dies and we're told there may be a delay because there's so many bodies there's a backup there's like a, a literal backup in the in the funeral home and stuff like that you know when remember there were bodies just piling up in places yeah, there was a, a news story yeah. of um, a morgue near me was using refrigerated U-Haul trucks because yeah. they were overflowing. Just, just awful, awful, awful. This stuff. is this is how bad that problem got. There was an article that came out, and the NY Post was trying to like uh, gotcha to this funeral home. So the NY Post, I think it was the NY Post, but don't get if it was something else, it was somewhere else. But they go up to this funeral home guy and they go, look. Look at you, you're disgusting. You have all those bodies that are outside just waiting to be brought in. You just have bodies outside. And he looked at this reporter and said, tell somebody, please tell somebody because they keep on sending these fucking bodies and I don't have a place for this. So I hope you scoop this. He was like right. on the reporter's side. He was like, I hope that you can play this and I hope we get traction on this because there were so many buildups. So it, That's it got, hilarious. You know, so they were like, they were just the most New York, like it was some like fucking like Hasidic. Yeah, it was it was some like Jewish Hasidic. I was just like, tell somebody, report me. I I beg you, report me. <laughs> Help cancel me get out me. of this situation. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you cancel me. That would be the best gift you could do. <laughs> Dox me if you'd like. <laughs> I swear to God, every day I hope up. I type in my name plus Jezebel.com, just <laughs> waiting to be ridden of this burden <laughs> that is living in 2020. Okay, so. Yeah. So the body gets out, and so we get told, it's, I had to rent a car. We go out to this like, cemetery in Long Island somewhere. We get there. There is a, there's eight to nine uh, 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 hearses that are there. And there's a literal line of eight to nine. This is a, a funeral home that does three to nine a day, and they were at like 25 a day at that point. Oh, man. Okay? So you got to, there was also like, there was like a legitimate line and stuff like that in waiting to bury. And on top of that, there was a paramedic had died. And... So there was also a big fucking like firefighter funeral like happening with like two huge fire trucks with flags hanging down. This was yeah. a beautiful show of patriotism and a big fucking traffic problem. Uh, <laughs> it can uh, be both. Yes. Yeah. No one ever thinks about the about the funerals that happened the day of the big firefighter funeral. <laughs> I'm just like stuck there, you know, waiting on you know in, in Wildwood Cemetery to get through. Eventually, we get through. They drive her out, and then we get out. If you want to talk about like a couple of the weird things that happen, is that the first thing is that it's a Jewish tradition that you're supposed to identify the body. That someone who knows the body, or someone like someone, has to identify the body because of coronavirus. No one that we knew had identified the body because they couldn't open up the casket because of coronavirus. We, you know, the rabbi was just like, "What?" You know, like we have to just bury her. You know, so there's like that element that like went out. So now you're also talking about how the ritualistic side of this is now becoming an issue. Right. So. Then, so we're at the, the grave basically, and the funeral director comes out and goes, everyone go to your car. And then we all walk back to our cars. And then six dudes in hazmat uniforms come out in those yellow hazmat uniforms and they take her casket out. And these six dudes who we don't know in hazmat uniforms take her casket and put it in the, you know, and they lower her to the ground. And then when they're done, they go very far away. It's also socially distant, you know, like this is, you know, yeah. this is the height of the precautions, you know, no right, one's, right, right. so they go far away. And then, uh, you know, then we go uh, to have our service. And um, the thing is the rabbi, the rabbi we got a day of because our rabbi was sick and this other rabbi we were going to use was too old. And his wife was like, you're not going outside because of coronavirus. Certainly, so, yeah, that's 
So we yeah. got to get this like last second uh, rental rabbi. At the funeral, I joked, uh, where'd we get him? Uh, a task rabbi? So <laughs> I read that. You included that in the article. Yeah. Crickets. No one laughed. Did you I, laugh? I did. Like, I just nudged out. And so I was like, hey, task rabbi. Right? Oh, God. <laughs> and so what was funny also was that someone, so then someone was like, what's task rabbi? And I was like, ta- like task rabbit. So then I would just describe. Oh, you had to explain the joke on top. Yeah, with like three people, I was like, like task rabbit. So I took out the phone, and I have to. I'm like, look, it's one second. Let me download it. And then I had to download Task Rabbit to explain this joke. <laughs> people were that interested in learning the, the the joke. I feel like people would just be like, uh, just stop. No, it was like, what do you mean? No, because everyone's like, what do you mean by this? What do you just? Because like it was, it was one of those. You know, it was it was a bunch of talky Jews. <laughs> task what do you mean task rabbi let me see it task rabbi like task rabbit task yeah. rabbi. what do you mean task rabbit like an app like an app what do you mean like an app oh like an app for like an app for phones like a, on the phone you can so you rent a rabbi on your phone no i'm making a pun i'm saying <laughs> task rabbi is like the app what, what is this app what does it do it's like you you rent people like you you have them come here and then and like you, you can have them like hello. hang yeah, and so that's, that conversation is happening for a minute. Like, not even, it's just, so, okay. So anyway, so this rabbi, though, we don't know who he is. You know, he gets like 30% of the uh, uh, eulogy correct. Like, he gets up there, and the first thing he says is- It's not really a good goes, percentage. Like, he goes, uh, we're here today to bury- No. Oh, one second. Oh, my gosh. Here. I have it one second. He's got files with him, notes. He's got a, he's got a prayer by a sitter. Okay. <clears throat> Eventually he's like, no. Miriam bought Leia. It's Leia bought Miriam. <laughs> Leia bought Miriam. What a loss for the society. Like, with that confidence. He, that was the thing. That was how he did it. He would like get it wrong. And then he would confidently say it a second time. <laughs> so you would, he would like say something, he would be like, a life in Poland wiped out by the Holocaust. She's, oh. from, Czechos- she's from Czechoslovakia, actually. Yeah. <laughs> a life in Czechoslovakia. I'm cringing so. Wiped out by the Holocaust. Oh my gosh. And then at one point, so what was also funny was that he starts going around, he's like, she'll be survived by her daughters, Marilyn. And this one, Irene, Irene, who I do not know, but I can already tell is a fountain of her life that she he brought on. Did he? He said it was, uh, if it Nothing. wasn't that, it was another countless, it was, sorry, it was another like a, a pointless, uh, meaningless, like a uh, trivial yeah. addition. Yeah, oh, uh, who bring who plants the seeds further that Lillian sowed, like whatever, some bullshit. <laughs> and then he starts listing us, and he, so he goes like, uh, and the grandchildren, uh, Jonathan, Jessica, Jessica's daughter, and the great grandkids, Ethan, Avital, Tamar, Menachem, and I. We so if one, me, Avital, my sister, and Tamar, my other sister, are the grandkids, and two. Menachem, not a member of our family, do not know a Menachem. <laughs> so at that point, he's just making up names. <laughs> so we stop him there. And then, because then he's like, her sisters. Okay, so what was weird was that in his prayer book, 
he had like funeral mad like he had like a eulogy of like a mad lib eulogies like where it was just like blank spaces in a in in like a a speech like he it was i I guess it makes sense to have that he literally it was like he literally went to my mom before the speech and was like okay uh let me uh okay we got a name uh (laughs) give me a pronoun an adjective an adverb uh the name of you and your sister uh uh, oh, hey, the, what camp did she escape? Uh, what <laughs> Israel charity did she co-chair? And uh, Leonard Cohen quote. <laughs> How are people taking this? Are they, are they like, is there like chatter groaning? Like While he's doing this, I'm standing next to my mother and every time he gets something wrong, I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> and like every third thing he gets wrong, I speak up. So one by one, we're all speaking up. So then, oh, oh my God, this was another thing. This is how he starts off the, he act, this is how we actually started off. He goes, Marilyn told me before the speech that uh, your mother was uh, working in the kitchens at Auschwitz. And you know, my mother also worked in the kitchens at Auschwitz. So maybe they knew each other. Oh man, oh like, man. <laughs> You're like, what? They, like, cool? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. Maybe. <laughs> time there. Yeah, right. What a fun memory. What a, <laughs> what a cool, cool. What do you want me to say there? Yeah. So that's not goes, a question. There's no response to that. I'm like, yes, that may have been true. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. If that would make sense if, if that was accurate. and it may be so then he starts so after he starts getting all of our names wrong uh he starts trying to list like my grandmother's sister and her on everyone on my grandfather's side and at one point we just stop him and everyone just starts naming the relatives and starts pointing like my mom's like i'm irene that's marilyn these these are the grandkids and then shindala was the sister and then Blinchu was the uncle. You got him. It wasn't the father. It was the uncle. like at that point we're just correcting. Like when, like when you go to a concert and like, you know, they stick the mic out to the yeah. audience and be like, you, you do this. You know it. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then we're playing the hits right now. So yeah. <laughs> after then, after he's done butchering that, <laughs> then it goes to. And he also, what's funny, he listed her. Uh, the the endearing part about this is that. He had her as 93 years old. So I, and then I give my speech. I obviously kill it. Uh, <laughs> I had her at 92 though. She told me 92. And then my sister gives a speech. My sister speaks very well, very, very well. My ex, actually, she was reading a speech from my other sister who was in Israel at the time. And that, my other sister had her at 94. So we don't know her real age. She told everyone different ages. We got no idea. And she's from the Holocaust. So like, her papers are gone. Like it's all a guess. Oh, okay. We got I no thought, clue. Like, yeah, she was like trying to screw with everybody by a year or like. Yes. So there is that, there is that thing where like, it's possible. Well, one of the things that, you know, when she came to New York, one of the ways that she was able to get jobs uh, was to age herself up because they didn't want to hire like a kid, but they would hire like a teen. So like that, oh. you know, she was 14. She could say she was 16 or 17, maybe. So there was oh, like that, that element sense. to it. Yeah. We have no fucking, we have no clue. There's like no way for us to know it. That, what is actually funny also about this is that my grandfather one time, I don't know if this is accurate at all, but one time we were, uh, uh, we were in the house in Queens and my grandfather goes, we were reading an article about the oldest taxi cab driver in New York. And my grandfather goes like, I'm four years older than that putz. 
And so I don't know if that's accurate, but my grandfather also lost his papers. He claimed that he was older than that oldest taxi cab driver. So who knows? Right. So then because what was kind of fucked up is that uh, so after I, my, my sister speaks, I speak, I, mean, I speak, my sister speaks, my cousin says like a small little thing and then we have to bury him. Now the problem is, or the problem is that if you're Jewish, some people have a custom where you don't leave until the casket is fully covered in okay. dirt. The four sides are covered in dirt. Usually, you're able to get the gravediggers to do this. However, because of social distance and the fact we only had one shovel, everyone put a little bit in, and then I had to essentially shovel my grandmother. Like I had to, I had to bury my grandmother like by hand by myself. I think I had it like at five to eight minutes, something like that, of just buried so to silence. What's going through your mind at that point? Is it just blank or? I was like, I just kept on thinking like, this is so fucked up. This is so fucked up. This is so fucked up. Also, I remember looking to the side and what was, what was kind of funny about the funeral was that, that people were, rec- one person was recording it on their cell phone and one person was live sharing it from their cell phone. So it was like a fucking world star hip hop video. To share and, to family members that are, weren't there? Yeah. Yeah. They were just, they, I mean, one from at home, I don't know what, who the other, there was also two people there who we didn't know until afterwards. They were friends with my grandmother, but they were oh, younger. Okay. I don't know where, but some people are just filming this. So I'm like shoveling for a lot of you physically burying your grandmother. Yeah, dude. And I just remember thinking like, this is so fucked up. This is, and then right towards the end, I was like, oh, I've just buried a body. Like I have, a, I have buried, this is, I buried a body. I know what it takes to bury a body. Information um, you never thought you'd no. come across or, or, or no. No, it also was funny. I, I was in the, I think I'm in the best, I mean, like it happened because I was in the best shape of the family and, and we wanted to get out of there, yeah. you know? So at some, at some people like did dig a little bit, but you know, eventually I got nudged. I was like, go over and, you know, Take so, yeah. so um, there was that. So then I buried her for, and that was, you know, then we went back to the car and then when we got to the car, we started laughing about it because it was the, that quick. I, you can't, it was, we were laughing. I was, we were wearing face masks, which I pr- thank Christ because we were, I was laughing. We were laughing on, this was so fun. It was, he, I, you couldn't have scripted, if I scripted it and I've been trying to script it right now and it, it's one, it's, it's the easiest, it's the hardest and the easiest thing to write because it's easy because it ha- I'm just transcribing what happened, but it's also hard because you would not believe Everything from the, we were in the parking lot looking at the hearse mm-hmm. and just being like, I can't believe that's Bobby. Bobby's in there. I cannot believe Bobby's in there. Yeah. Actually, wait. That's. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these three hearses. <laughs> like, because usually the hearses are like, you know, they're not in the same area ever. So you, you're doing not usually a traffic jam of hearses. Yeah, there's, there's, you don't see multiple hearses, you know, except right like the entrance. It was, I, it was bananas what was happening. When, when that sort of happens, you know, what do you, what do you fucking do? What do you do? I, this is I, the article. I think I sum it up incredibly better than anyone would ever be able to sum it up at all. <laughs> but that funeral was like a, a macro look into coronavirus because it was being terrified and sad and and feeling real shitty about the situation but then also being like look who's fucking running like this is hilarious what is happening like this is truly like a very funny thing that is going on and you know looking around being able to say like who are the schmucks that are running this is uh, yeah to quote you you uh you said the coronavirus is a deep dark life lesson in how 
to experience something awful while quietly leaning over to your neighbor and whispering, can you believe these schmucks? There we go. Oh, this I think that's great. I, I, you know, I think that I, you know, this is where I'll open up the conversation to you now more because I think there's an element to this where I'm curious what you feel. I think that one, do you know anybody that's like died because of coronavirus or anything like that? Like how connected are you to it? Just, just a few people removed. No one directly, okay. thankfully. Okay. But you feel it. you I'm sure you felt oh, it. Uh, well, I live in Crown Heights and, and in my neighborhood alone, you know, I mentioned the, the U-Haul truck at the morgue, but also people have been doing walk by wakes where they just stand outside their building and people walk by in the street and, and, you know, everyone's crying and you just feel that like they want to console each other, but. Can't you physically can't physically cannot. Yeah. I, I, my theory on this and how it ties into comedy is I think that America's comedy and the world's comedy sensibilities are about to get way darker. I think that if you look at what military vets and cancer survivors and people who've been in accidents and just like terror survivors, if you look at the stuff that they laugh at, it's always darker. And I think that society as a whole is, tra- is going to be traumatized by it. Nothing has ever hit everybody the way that this has, ha- has happened. So I think that, you know, I think darker, realer comedy, comedy that really addresses subjects, darker subjects in a way that's very human-like, I can absolutely see that being the case. I already feel more jaded. I don't really have time for lighter comedy. Um, Can you imagine if, if like, you were in a club and, you know, someone went up there like, who's on Bumble? Yeah. That would be insane. You can't, the biggest thing that comedians are dealing with now, I think, is that a lot of jokes that we had before that were staples now, it's like, well, what, what, like, who cares? Like, who fucking cares about this, like, dating tape or something? You it's know. almost like, you know, uh, a 12 million pound gorilla in the room that mm-hmm. like, y- you have to address it. Yeah. So then it becomes like, how do you address it? How do you, how do you talk about the worst thing to ever happen? And that's the other thing. I think that people are stupidly trying to compare this to stuff. Early on when they were like, this, this is as bad as the 2008 recession. You know, I'm just like, what are you fucking talking about? Nothing, this is worse than everything that's ever happened. This is the worst thing to ever happen. Right. There's a recession, uh, you know, as of recording this, there's 115,000 people in the U.S. alone dead. That, that's more than the soldiers the U.S. lost in World War One. And then the residual effects, like, I, you're going to, we're going to hear the suicide and OD stats and the yeah. residual, the residual PTSD, the societal PTSD. We're just getting to the fixing is going to be the biggest, you know, is going to be the biggest challenge with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're not getting out of it anytime soon, unfortunately. Nope. This is nine eleven again. Did we get out of nine eleven? No. And this is at least this is bigger than nine eleven, and we didn't get out of nine eleven. So, right. Uh, but then I do think that what's interesting is that there's no one to blame for this. So, well, no one to blame. Then, then the thing to blame is science and logic and competency, which has been under fire quite a bit lately as well. So maybe that doesn't get blamed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe society through their voting decides to stop blaming science for helping us. That's a, a hopeful thought. Yes. Uh, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I am just curious in, in how this changes your outlook uh, when you're thinking about death for yourself personally or through friends and family. Or, or I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I The first thing that I think of with that question is that I had friends that had it way worse than I had with coronavirus. 
Um, I've had friends lose parents. I've had friends lose multiple grandparents. You know, I've had friends lose parents and get evicted, you know, like, not evicted, but like who have had to like move away and stuff, you know, like there's, yeah. I, I think that one, if there was ever a time to look at how to take stock of the good stuff in your life, then this is the time to do that. I, that's one. I think two, it hasn't changed my view on death at all. I don't, it didn't change my view on death, but I think that I've been, I wouldn't, I, when I was 10, I thought about death. You know, like I, I had cancer when I was 10 years old. So right. you, know, you overhear conversations about life expectancy, you know, and you put together like, oh, they're talking about you. And, you know, and, and you kind of figure out what that means and stuff like that. Like, this has always been in my purview. And on top of that, like straight up, how many fucking Holocaust, you know, <laughs> assemblies did I go to every month in, in high school and, and regular school? And I think that death is, is so part of the Jewish narrative that we are predisposed to being exposed to. And we're all exposed to it, I think, more than other people. Certainly. Who knows? Yeah. You know. It's been a lot of uh, tragedies. But this, hasn't said, changed my, this hasn't changed my, my death outlook at all, I, I think is my takeaway from this. Right. Well, thank you so much for everything you've shared. It's, it's truly an interesting perspective to, to laugh in the face of such a tremendous tragedy. Yeah. It's going to be the thing that gets us out of it eventually. There's going to be a bunch of, I'm telling you right now, in, over the next couple of months, we're going to have those things where like, you know, the first home run is going to be a big deal for us. That's going to bring society out. Like the first. A great point. I remember Mike Piazza hitting a home run right after 9-11. And, and that's still something that brings tears to my eyes watching. Mar- and the first opening weekend for a Marvel movie. That's yeah. gonna be wild. You know what the thing is? I used to think that that uh, Endgame, that what the, the 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 sorry the the hype and everything around Endgame could not have been beat by anything ever, because it was a you know culmination of the, it was twelve years of the biggest thing culminating into one event. You know we're get, we're at a point now where a lot of this stuff we've been taking for granted is coming back, and it's gonna be you know you, you have to look at those moments you know, and be like, oh, fuck, like yeah, that's so yeah, that's awesome, you know. Right. Like Endgame was great, but. That first time we can all go into a restaurant and order mozzarella sticks is yeah. real nice. It's going to be fucking, it's like those wins. And it's going to be, I think that New York in this, this city, the, the summer in the city is going to be awful because it's going to be, you know, Corona is still going to be lingering and stuff like that. Uh, but I do think it's going to be a lot of fun also because, you know, there's gonna, the tourist stuff isn't open and it's going to, a lot of stuff is going to be shut down. So it's going to be a lot of people just walking around, you know, grabbing walktails, you know. Yeah. So... Drinking in the streets, yeah. Who fucking knows? Yeah, drinking. I will say also that's a very white uh, privilege. Yes, it absolutely, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It's not New Orleans just yet for everybody no. in America. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having me, dude. Of course.